You know how they say you have to uh, make mistakes to learn your lesson? Well, I guess some people don't learn that lesson. It just happens to cost us several lives. Again, this is The Lost World Jurassic Park. Video Store Wasteland. Hello and welcome back to Video Store Wasteland. I am your host, Brian. As you heard in our little intro there, we are talking today about the 1998 movie Lost World Jurassic Park. It's the next one in our series, I guess, that we're doing this week for, uh, you know, Jurassic Park Dominion, Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, that's coming out on June 10th. If yeah, June 10th, if I'm seeing correctly on the calendar there. And, um, you know, this one that is stylized in the terms of what it's called in the, uh, title, it is lost world colon Jurassic park, not lost world of Jurassic park or Jurassic park lost world, which would have made a lot more sense. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I digress. Uh, this one, I, I do like, I like it more than, than the next three movies that follow. Uh, and of course that could change because I yet to watch uh, Jurassic Park 3, uh, Jurassic World, and Jurassic World Lost Kingdom at the time of this recording. So let's see how that goes once we get to there. Uh, but anyway, uh, we're going to go ahead and, and start where we always start here at Video Store Wasteland and look at the movies and events that happened in the year 1998. This is, this is magnificent. Oh, yeah. Ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and then screaming. All right, so 1998. We're going to go ahead and look at the top 10 grossing films of that year. And now we already did a movie from that year, but it was before we started doing things in this format. From that year, we did Small Soldiers, which is the Joe Dante-directed uh, movie about... Uh, Toys that have like AI chips in it that bring them bring them to life. Not exactly sentience, but they are alive. But uh, we're going ahead and start with the top ten grossing films of that year. We have Armageddon, Saving Private Ryan, Godzilla. There's something about Mary. Is that a hair gel? A Bug's Life, Deep Impact, Mulan. All right, that's it. Dishonor, dishonor on your whole family. Make a note of this. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your cow. Doctor Doolittle, Shakespeare in Love, and Lethal Weapon Four. Now, if you're looking at these lists already, uh, Armageddon, Deep Impact are like probably the same movie because I believe. Now I don't think I've seen Deep Impact, but I have seen Armageddon, and. Uh, it's about the end of the world, basically. And, you know, it's called it's Armageddon. I believe that one is a Michael Bay movie, so uh, fits into that pain and gain thing that we did. And um, you know, it, things like that do happen every once in a while when two movies come out in the same year or close to each other. In this case, this year, uh, this year as in 1998, the good ex- a good example of that is A Bug's Life and Ants that came out basically really, really close to each other, and they're you know kind of about the same thing, but one's more of a communist allegory in the other ones of Woody Allen movie. Uh, so there you go. Uh, that year as well, top awarded movies. We're looking at Shakespeare in Love and Saving Private Ryan. Uh, if you ever needed to know how bullshit uh, the Academy Awards are and always have been, that year Shakespeare in Love won Best Picture over Saving Private Ryan. 
I can tell you how many times I've seen Saving Private Ryan, and I can tell you how many times I've seen, uh, you know, Shakespeare in Love, and that was once in high school when they had one of those movie days. One of the days now that I understand that the teachers were a little bit hungover. <laughs> anyway, uh, other other movies that came out in the year 1998, we're looking at things like Blade, Basketball, Half-Baked, which, uh, you know, consummate stoner comedy. So if you, you want, or you're looking up to, uh, <laughs> to roll up a, a, a nice blunt and get nice and toasty and watch a movie, go ahead and watch a uh, Half-Baked. Great movie. It's Dave Chappelle movie. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. And fuck you, I'm out. Whatever feelings you have about Dave Chappelle are your own. Don't come, you know, yelling at me about it. Um, we have Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And again, whatever feelings you have about Johnny Depp, do not come yelling to me about it. Uh, like I said, Small Soldiers, The Waterboy, which is, you know, when those are in that years of like when Adam Sandler was making great, great comedies. It's clean. It's cold. And that's what I call high quality H2O. And my cat just dropped uh, something off the bed. They, they're doing cat things. Uh, we also have Halloween H20, 20 years later, I think. That's the complete title of that movie. And that, that one, I believe, is the seventh Halloween movie. Sixth or seventh Halloween movie. Um, so, you know, there you go with that. We also have Rush Hour, which is not an hour of radio where they only play Rush and Rush only. Where You know, that'd be great. But uh, it's <laughs> the Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker comedy. Fantastic movie. Uh, that year as well, we have things like Star Trek Insurrection, and if you listen to this podcast and you know me, I will mention anything that Star Trek that comes about. So there you go. Uh, we have Truman Show comes out that year, Pleasantville, Mighty Joe Young, and as well as the Psycho remake directed by Gus Van Sant. Uh, that one's interesting because of the fact that it is a shot for shot remake of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho from 1960. So what I mean shot by shot, shot for shot is uh, that Gus Van Zandt literally took every single shot from Psycho and remade it, remade the movie like that, but, you know, updated with new new people and all that. And and actually Vince Vaughn's in that movie. Uh, He plays, uh, you know, uh, Norman Bates. Nice little connection between, you know, that one and this movie that we're doing, The Lost World. Uh, now, like we've been starting to do, we're going to go ahead and look at the events that year. That year uh, was one of the last years of the Bill Clinton presidency. And in that year as well, we have the Denver Broncos beating the Green Bay Packers 31-24 in the Super Bowl. A little sad because, you know, I... I I like I like the Packers and I have Pack fans in my family, so we're gonna go ahead and run that sound right now. Go Pack, go! And as well in that year in baseball, we're looking at the World Series. Actually, no, there wasn't a World. Oh no, yeah, that's right. Hey, again, sorry to my friend Cato here, but the New York Yankees swept the San Diego Padres four games to nothing. Oh boy, feel bad for you a little bit because uh, that means that they won the World Series in San Diego. 
meaning that was the closest that San Diego's ever gotten to seeing a World Series trophy in their own stadium. <laughs> He'll yell at me that for that later. And then that year as well, we had the Chicago Bulls beating the Utah Jazz four games to two in the NBA championships, the NBA finals, as uh, it's called. And in ice hockey for the Stanley Cup, <laughs> what we're looking at is the Detroit Red Wings beating the Washington Capitals four games to nothing, so another sweep. So that year we saw two sweeps in championships. So, you know, the Yankees swept the Padres. And again, I'm going to mention that a lot uh, uh, because of the other fact that this, you know what, we'll talk about that when we get to the movie. And, uh, you know, swept in the Stanley Cup. So that's what we're looking at in a little bit in the background of that year and what other things people were watching or going to the movies for. Um, a lot of those movies I mentioned are stuff that, that ran a lot on, on uh, sort of like TNT, TBS, and as well as all the Spanish language channels. So, uh, like I said, like Armageddon definitely was played a lot on like Univision with El Mundo, same thing with Godzilla, uh, Dr. Little, too little definitely. That one was for sure played on like, uh, ABC seven as that's the ABC affiliate out here in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles area, greater Los Angeles area, whatever it's called. Uh, definitely that was played on that channel. Cause I remember watching it as a kid. Um, eh, my cat got my foot. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that's the year 1998 in film and we're or movies, whatever you want to call them. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and move on to the background uh, but, oh, background, the cast and crew of, of The Lost World. Rex just fed, so he won't stalk us for food. Just fed? I assume you're talking about Eddie. You might show a little respect. The man saved our lives by giving his. And his troubles are over. All right, so now cast and crew of uh, The Lost World. We're going to go ahead and just go through the crew, and uh, or the cast really quick, because the crew is basically the same. The main crew is the same as uh, Jurassic Park, and you're... Essentially bringing back everybody from the first one. Uh, but for or for cast, we're looking at Jeff Goldblum comes back as Ian Malcolm. We have Julianne Moore, uh, who plays Sarah Harding. We have Vince Vaughn, like I said, uh, who plays Nick Van Owen. And then we have Pete. I, I looked up Prostration Guide for this, too. I'm going to mess it up really bad. Postlewaite? Postlethwaite, that guy. You know, if you know what he is, who he is, uh, he's like one of the the guys that they hire on for catching all the dinosaurs in this movie. Oh, well, well, I'll tell you when we get to the, I guess, a little bit more of the discussion of it, because this is gonna be a little different from the first one, or first one as in Jurassic Park. Uh, Arliss Howard, who plays uh, the nephew of John Hammond, and John Hammond's back in this one. So Richard Attenborough is back in this one, and it's really. Who we're looking at in terms of main cast of of the movie, and like I said, we're bringing back essentially the same crew except for cinematographers. We have Steven Spielberg back as director, Michael Crichton and David Coab as writers, Michael Kahn as editor, John Williams as composer, and Stan Winston controlling all the animatronics. Uh, and instead, we have Spielberg's uh, trusty cinematographer post uh schindler's list and jurassic or post jurassic park because he worked on schindler's list of janos kaminsky who if you also listen to this show know that he worked on little giants so 
you know, I'm curious of whether he's uh, he as in Spielberg saw uh, Janos Kaminsky's work on Little Giants and was like, "Hey, you come do this movie, these movies for me." Uh, <laughs> but you know, that's how we're looking at in uh, for cast and crew, really. Uh, what I'm gonna do now, since this one is based off a book as well, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the book, talk a little bit how it compares and contrasts to the movie, and then we're gonna get to the movie. Uh, Firstly, this is going to be a lot of spoilers for the end of the, of the Jurassic Park book. Uh, and if you, those who have uh, read the book know this, what happens is that at the end of it, John Hammond dies. It's a fitting end for his character because in the book itself, he's kind of like a evil version of Walt Disney. Um, so, I mean, it depends on what your thoughts are on Walt Disney, but he's like brings that sort of edge to a Walt Disney type in the book uh, and he dies at uh, the hands what does he die of I forget if he gets eaten by the juvenile T-Rex in the book in the at the end of Jurassic Park or the book and uh, at the end of the book as well Ian Malcolm's character gets uh, it's vague and whether or not his character dies, but it's pretty much that he does. He succumbs to his injuries because he does get severely injured in the park, in the book Jurassic Park. Um, so the story of the book goes is that uh, when the movie Jurassic Park was released, the character of Ian Malcolm and subsequently as well because of the portrayal of the character by Jeff Goldblum they, as in the fans, wanted, uh, you know, him back. And since uh, since the popularity of the first movie, you know, it sort of brought back Spielberg to do it. And uh, Michael Crichton wrote the book, uh, you know, before the movie came out as well, and he brought back the character. So in general, the book itself starts out as fan service in terms of bringing back a character who has already been dead, now, what we're looking at in the book is that uh, a lot of it has to do with, if I remember correctly, is they're trying or they, as in Ian Malcolm, is called to get certain files out of the island, uh, as in the island is in Site B, because. Um, I think they were trying to avoid having the having people like steal the like it you know since it is still like a techno capitalist thriller the books are they're trying to get them out uh them as in the files of the dinosaurs so trying to get all that DNA stuff out of it uh so they can, you know, avoid having people redo the same mistakes, right? And uh, so they go there to try to find all that. And it's the same characters of, like, Sarah Harding gets taken or gets brought to the island uh, because in the book she's a close friend, in the movie she's a girlfriend, right? So that's the ones are starting to get a little bit difference. Uh, and in the island Isla Sorna, which is site B, which is where the, is the island that this movie and the book takes place on, 
it is uh, sort of like a production facility for Jurassic Park. So, you know, all the dinosaurs would been produced there, then shipped over to the other island. And that's where you get the whole idea of the Cinco Muertes, which is the five deaths. Uh, that's what that means in Spanish. <laughs> I mean, just really easy to figure out Cinco Muertes. Like, come on. Anyway, uh, so Malcolm goes on there on the island because of a wealthy paleontologist that takes him or like commissions him to to go to the island. Uh, but at the same time, the island itself is like, I think, built on a geothermic not a caldera exactly, but it's built built on something that built on like geothermic uh, energy and that means that the island itself could blow up at any second. I think it does at the end of it. Something like that. Uh, but that island itself, since it is a production facility, they're working on different dinosaurs that weren't on the original island, uh, as in the original island as an Isla Nublar. And in the book Jurassic, or in Jurassic World and Lost World, Jurassic World, Jurassic Park and Lost World, the character of Lewis Dotson, which um, <laughs> our friend uh, Newman very clearly, you know, pointed out. Dotson! Dotson! We've got Dotson here! Nobody cares. Nice hat. Uh, he plays a bigger, bigger role in in both both books because he is sort of that uh, corporate spy that does want to take secrets back and forth from uh, either Engine and bring it to the mainland for other bioengineering companies. So because of the uh, so when they land, they get attacked by a, another dinosaur called a Connor Torres, who in the book. It explains like it has chameleon-like skin, which does, I guess, that idea gets borrowed later on for the Indominus Rex in Jurassic World. I don't know if, you know, the writers directly took it for that because, you know, nowadays who does look at source material anyway? I'm looking at you, Obi-Wan TV show. Um, <laughs> and uh, the group gets separated and it's not as big a scale as in the movie the movie really does try to blow everything up to a bigger bigger and grander proportion uh while the book itself is very uh small and personal in terms of its narrative and how many people are involved in in the whole story together uh so because we we have you know ian malcolm there and the same sort of thing where his it's not his daughter in the book i think it's one of his students that he teaches because in the movie he has a daughter adopted daughter named kelly and in the book you know there's his student i believe is named kelly as well so they have that uh Started of the same beats a little bit at the beginning. They they find the T Rex, uh, baby T Rex. They set its leg and they attack them on the high hide, which is that big old scaffolding thing that they brought up get brought up behind above the trees, and whatnot. Uh, there's the same sort of scenarios in the, I guess the village, the workers' village on the island, but instead of the lost raptors being there, is gonna be the Carnotaurus. 
which serves as, I guess, the main villain of the book itself, or main nature antagonist, if we're looking at things like uh, what type of conflict it is, that's the man versus nature, or man versus science, really, what, this, what that would be uh, in this situation. And you still have the things with the velociraptors, but everything ends really there, because what happens at the end of the book, spoilers for the end of the book, uh, they, they, as in Malcolm, and uh, I think someone else releases like sheep that have infected brains with like uh, essentially the equivalent of mad cow disease with prions, which uh, is a disease also that can go to humans. And it's uh, if you know about chronic wasting disease, which is a disease that's uh, on here right now, and it's actually kind of scary to think about. But that one kind of eats away at your brain and it. It's explained that, you know, it'll lead to the eventual extinction of all the dinosaurs on that island. And since none of them really got released past that point, uh, you know, they're all going to die. So that's really what the book is. It's very contrasted to the movie where everything in the movie gets blown up to a grander scale. And uh, this gets pointed to the fact that I believe I I read this. There was 50 percent more, quote unquote, 50 percent more dinosaur action in this movie than it was compared to Jurassic Park. Now, whether is that to the benefit or detriment of the movie itself is really up to the audience. I personally think that Jurassic Park worked better in the case that they weren't showing the dinosaurs constantly because it falls under the thing of like Jaws, where if you saw the shark constantly in Jaws, they would have taken away the fear and terror that this shark would create in Jurassic Park. It's or Jurassic Park the movie. It's the same sort of thing. You don't see the, you don't really see raptors at all, and they're sort of that mystery uh, villain creature. And you don't really see the T Rex until that T Rex attack, and you don't you hear the T Rex more than you do do see him, her actually. You know, since all the all the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park are female. Mommy's very angry. And as well as that, you know, I guess somebody, there were fans they wrote to Spielberg saying, oh, where, well, how come this dinosaur wasn't in there? How come that dinosaur wasn't in the movie? How come this and that? And he, this movie is fan service of Jurassic Park. Uh, and if you don't know what the term fan service means, it's just, uh, you know, just giving the fans what they want exactly. Uh, as much as I do like this sequence of, of the movie Rogue One, the ending scene where Darth Vader comes and destroys all those rebels there that leads into the beginning of A New Hope, that whole scene is fan service. It's exactly what that is. A lot of the Marvel movies are fan service, is giving just the fans exactly what they want, and not take away from the movie itself. Sometimes it can. Uh, it doesn't have to. It's got to be part of an ongoing storyline, even if the story shouldn't have been ongoing in the first place. New main characters, yes but supported by and related to legacy characters. Not quite a reboot, not quite a sequel, like the new Halloween, Saw, Terminator, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, fuck, even Star Wars. It always, always goes back to the original. Are you telling me that I'm caught in the middle of fan fucking fiction? Personally for me, like the new Batman movie was kind of like that. I mean, depending on what you think that of the new Batman movie, because there have been like several Batman movies, Batman. Uh, like there's been several Spider-Men. Um, but this is what Lost World really is. It's a fan service movie of Jurassic Park. 
because there's more dinosaurs, more action, more teeth, uh, to quote stuff from Jurassic World. We need more. More what? Teeth. We need more teeth. Now, like I said, it's not, not to take away, and it doesn't, I don't think really benefits too much from the movie, or benefits the movie too much and doesn't take away from the movie too much. It's just the fact that how do you create a something that lives up to essentially a masterpiece of cinema in Jurassic Park? Like, you have, on one hand, The Lost World, and you have, the other hand, Jurassic Park. I'm going to tell you which one that I would recommend people more watching is Jurassic Park, obviously. Um, but, you know, let's just get into the movie a little bit while I explain a little bit more of fan service and, you know, the plus and minuses between Jurassic Park and The Lost World. Because let's not forget, this is a sequel, and as sequel sequels go, it is... It's a good sequel. It's a serviceable, serviceable sequel. It's, it's not Godfather Part Two because there's only one Godfather Part Two. You know, it's Godfather Part Two. It's not Empire Strikes Back because there's only one Empire Strikes Back. So we let's let's not try to compare this sequel to other sequels. We just compare it as a sequel to the original, and it's serviceable. That'll do, Donkey. That'll do. So the beginning of the movie sort of tries to mirror the beginning of Jurassic Park where there's an incident on Isla Sorna where the Procomsathus the compies little green animals, Procomsathus I think that's how you say that animal's name they go and attack the little girl on the island and that actually is taken from the book Jurassic Park where there's an attack uh, like that since in the, big, in, in the book Jurassic Park is explained that some of the creatures uh, were manning, were able to get off the island by, by sneaking onto the boats. And once they got to the mainland, they snuck around the mainland. And that whole sequence is taken from a part of the book Jurassic Park. So, I mean, cool. Uh, that doesn't happen in the book Lost World, really. Um, so they take it from there. And so you're setting up oh, there's an incident on the island, and then you go directly to Ian Malcolm, where the first time you see him, he's uh, in, like, a train station, and he's, like, the mom's, like, yelling, and it's a cheat cut of... A cheat cut basically means is that they take the audio from one scene and put it to against the visual of another to create some sort of connection or transition between both scenes. And... Uh, you know, he has his mouth open, like he's screaming there, but he's really yawning to go on the subway. And uh, on that subway, somebody, you know, says, oh, you're that guy, right? You know, uh, the and he does a little roar to him, and he's like, yeah, yeah. So you can already tell that, A, he's been um, suffering through the infamy of Jurassic Park, uh, meaning that uh, that's going to follow him for the rest of his life. There you go. And it does follow him later on into Jurassic World Lost Kingdom. Uh, when we get to that, we'll get to that. <laughs> wow, I need to breathe when I do this, really, because, uh, you know, sometimes you forget to breathe and then you lose track of time. Uh, so that sets up there. We're going from there to him meeting uh, John Hammond. So you, you reintroduce to the kids of Lex and Tim, who originally had a bigger part in the movie, and I believe in the original drafts of Lost World, 
they were more present in the movie than they were in uh, in the movie itself. Over here, they're just there at their grandpa's house, like, chilling, you know, big chilling. Uh, at that point, you're also introduced to the nephew, who is Aldris Harold's character of uh, Peter Ludlow. Uh, did I say his name right? Yeah, Aldrich Harold. Yeah, Peter Ludlow, which that part originally was going to go to Gary Oldman, but he was busy doing something else at the time. I forget what exactly he was doing, but, you know, I digress at that point. Uh, and you reintroduce to uh, John Hammond, who gives him basically the 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 mission. You know, that's the point where you get to know, like, why is Ian Malcolm even called upon or summoned to go to visit uh, John Hammond after, you know, <laughs> dealing with that bullshit that he put him through. I think this takes place five, six years after the incident at, at Isla Nublar. And then I think that's what they call, they call what happened. They, they call the events of Jurassic Park in the, the universe of this movie is the incident at Isla Nublar. Uh, it's more than an incident. It's a catastrophe. Unmitigated disaster. But at this point is where John Hammond says, you know, I already have a team of, of naturalists. You know, we have uh, this guy who's your field expert, uh, and that's the Eddie Carr character, who Eddie Carr is also part of the book Lost World. And then you have Nick Van Owen, uh, who is a field photographer, who, you know, is later on, you know, explained to be a saboteur in favor of John Hammond. Uh, and he's a field photographer, and then he's like, oh, we have a paleontologist, and he doesn't mention who the paleontologist is, and that is, the paleontologist is uh, Sarah Harding, which is uh, Sarah, <laughs> not Sarah Cohen, <laughs> Sarah Harding, which is Julianne Moore's character. Um, and in the book, and it's just a friend of Ian Malcolm, and in the movie, uh, his girlfriend at the time. Uh, so, you know, kind of baiting him into it so that's the reason i bring up the beginning of it of this movie uh, as a contrast to the beginning of jurassic park because the beginning of jurassic park is sort of the same thing you set up the dangers of what could happen on this island with the velociraptor uh being imported and in a lost world with the girl being attacked by the procomsathus and then you have uh the lawyer visiting the mines uh, leading into the stuff with Grant. And in The Lost World, we have, uh, you know, the meeting of Ian Malcolm on there and him being teased about what happened on the island to meeting John Hammond. Sort of the same thing. In the TV edits of Lost World, there are a couple of scenes that get added to it. And this is where you first meet uh, Pete Postlewaith. I think I got it right there. But his character, uh, he's he's uh, meeting up with the other guy who's helping him on this excursion. He's like, hey, you know, we're going to do this thing. And I guess that would be the equivalent of the scenes between uh, Dennis Nedry and Lewis Dodson in the Jurassic Park movie. So already what I'm trying to set up is that uh, there's several points of both movies where almost Spielberg's almost trying to give you the sense of it being the same sort of situation, different people with a different incident that could happen on this island. And that's what they kind of show on it. 
And um, it does a good job with it, even without the scenes with Peter, Pete Postlewaite and the other guy who's helping him. I don't know the character's name off the top of my head. I, I'm honestly more well adept at talking about Jurassic Park than I am Lost World. I do like the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World series overall. Uh, but, you know, Jurassic Park is the best one and my favorite. <laughs> uh, you already got to that point, then you meet all the rest of the characters, and then, then, bam, we're on the island. It really moves you really... It moves quicker than Jurassic Park in terms of meeting the dinosaurs, getting an incident done. Because even at the beginning of Jurassic Park, you don't really see the velociraptor when it attacks the worker. You see the procompsathus attack the little girl. He's a little, like, animatronic created by... Uh, it's not even an animatronic. I believe is a puppet created by Stan Winston and Stan Winston Studios. And uh, you get to the island, and it feels like a safari because the music is completely different from uh, Jurassic Park. So uh, at Jurassic Park, is this grandiose wall-to-wall sound, big cinematic uh score that's supposed to fill you with wonder and excitement about what's going on in the park because obviously you're seeing a dinosaur for the first time in 65 million years at this point you've already seen dinosaurs or at this point as in this point in the movie universe and in you know in general in the movies uh so the score changes from that grandiose wall-to-wall sound to something a little small more more drums on it and honestly, I do like the score a lot of uh, Jurassic, of The Lost World, because it, 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 it feels adventurous, because in Jurassic Park is about, like, uh, a discovery, and um, yeah, it's more about discovery, and in The Lost World, it's more about adventure and survival. And that's what that, uh, the score does come across, because they go from more traditional orchestration to more drum and more percussion in the lost world. <laughs> I did do music for a little bit. So, I mean, if it sounds a little too technical, I apologize. Uh, let me know through, uh, you know, <laughs> I should do this now. Oh, I'll do it at the end of the day, but, uh, you know, email me at video store wasteland at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any, you know, thing to say about that. Uh, but you know, you have the big old scenes, uh, wide open shots of the the sea, the uh, the island they're on. And at this point already, I should let you know, I've had people note when Jurassic World came out that, oh, why is there so many product placement? Like, let me tell you one thing. Product placement did not start with Jurassic World. That started with the Lost World. Because every single car in the Lost World is a Mercedes. Every car in that one, like the big old RV that they have, Mercedes, all the the cars that the expedition group, the ones that are capturing all the dinosaurs, Mercedes, everything is. So, you know, that's where the Mercedes thing starts because it carries on into Lost World or into uh, Jurassic Park 3, Jurassic World, Jurassic World, Lost Kingdom and Jurassic World Dominion, I'm assuming. Uh, this being recorded, obviously, before that movie comes out. Now, there's that, like I said, the, ex- the, the other team that are taking all the dinosaurs off the island, and that's their goal in the whole movie, and 
So I guess you can kind of get the compare and contrast between scientists and uh, capitalists stuff. Uh, and that does kind of still work into the themes of what the books originally were supposed to be, which are, uh, you know, capital or business thrillers, really, too, And at that point. So techno business thriller is what uh, the genre of, of this movie would be. And um, I, I mentioned genre because I do have something special planned for you guys uh, next I won't say when, I'll just say I have something special planned for you guys. Uh, and because of that second group, you see more dinosaurs there. So there's just more of everything. So like when I said everything from Jurassic Park gets thrown into a grandiose scale into this one, you see it a lot more. So you see more uh, species. So you have like things like the Pachycephalosaur, you have the Parasaurolophus, you have Stegosaurs, you have uh, Triceratops, uh, Gallimine, all, all everything. Everything that, if you remember the parts of Jurassic Park where Dennis Nidri's character, Newman, Wayne Knight, uh, who is uh, <laughs> Michael Jordan's assistant in Space Jam as well, if we're going to name off all the things he was in, uh, he you know, takes the embryos out of Jurassic Park and you see all the different names of the different dinosaurs uh, there. And, you know, all those gets get shown in uh, The Lost World because they didn't show them all in uh, Jurassic Park. I believe there was only one, four, five, six different species, maybe five species of dinosaurs that they show on in Jurassic Park. They did show the Parasaurolophus, which is the one with the crest in the back of their head, um, in Jurassic Park, but they didn't show it as closely as they did in The Lost World. Uh, and now that you have all that, you know, you set up that, and then you set up the danger that there is still carnivores on the island because they see the uh, a footprint of the T-Rex, and then you go on to where, from there... They have a business presentation by Don Hammond's nephew, who's like, oh, we're going to bring all these dinosaurs to the island. Again, showing it's the fact that it is a business thriller. But the fact is that nobody's looking at, at, at him like he's a psycho, like they are in, in Jurassic Park. Because everybody's at the dinner, at Jurassic, the table in Jurassic Park before they actually go into the park, are looking at John Hammond like, hey, you are an insane person. You're trying to bring all these people onto this island with creatures that haven't lived on in 65 million years plus, some of which that are carnivorous and have animal instincts. And, uh, you know, it's a little more crazy to bring them into the city of San Diego, but crazier things have been done to the city of San Diego, like taking the chargers away from them. Uh, see, I feel for you, San Diego. There, they should have just left the chargers in San Diego. And if you go back, take the clippers with you. <laughs> oh man, I, I kid, I kid. Just you know, go bats. <laughs> but um, that's when Vince Vaughn's character comes and sabotages all that, and that's where shit goes down. Because at this point, you realize that they're using the baby T Rex to try to lure the T Rex uh, in uh, two T Rex actually, because there's a male and a female, uh, the bull and the cow. You know, that's I guess how they explain it in in the movie, or I guess that's how game hunters explain things in general. Uh, so you have the that they try to they essentially break the T-Rex kids, the, the infant T-Rex legs to try to lure it 
into there and and uh the scientist side so uh Julianne Moore's character and Ian Malcolm's character they try to save it and uh that just leads the, to the cuz the T-Rex attack in Jurassic Park is such an iconic scene and they try to emulate it at a grander scale in this one by having two T-Rex but in trying to recapture the magic of the first one, you kind of just, again, that's a fan service part of it. And I'm not saying it's bad or anything. Like, again, fan service doesn't necessarily take away or it doesn't necessarily add. It depends on to the enjoyment of the audience, which, again, is part of the genre stuff. And, uh, and they come and attack the 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 RV by taking it off the side of, of the cliff, which fun fact that uh, cliff scene was a built on the side of a parking structure on the back lot of universal studios. And I think if you go on the universal Studios studio tour, you're able to see the parking lot that they are parking structure that they use when you're on the tour. I don't think they point it out anymore, but you do see it. You do see it there. Uh, so you go ahead and go do all that there or in terms of, you know, what the scene is, uh, you have that, then this movie moves a lot quicker than the first one, because again, it's more action. So they go a to B to C you go from, you're going on the Island, the expedition stuff, you get attacked by the T-Rex. Then you, uh, have this, uh, the second T-Rex attack after the, somebody was attacked by Prothacanthesis, which in reality Prothacanthesis were more scavenging animals rather than, than hunting animals. But, you know, it's neither here or there because it's a movie. It's not a nature documentary. And uh, this is when both parties, in terms of uh, both teams that got sent by Hammond, join up together. And, you know, it's all right. It moves on to there because then you have another T-Rex attack in the camp, which is the cooler one where the T-Rex goes, puts its head inside of there, inside the tent, and, like, lifts it up and all that. That's cool. That's really cool. Because um, then you have the, the them getting chased down by the T-Rex and then the head through the waterfall that looks like that's part of the ride at Universal. Uh, you know, because that's what happens at the end. The fucking T-Rex comes out at you. And, uh... That leads on directly into them going into the long grass. So that's the better scene. That's the, like, honestly, this, this movie would have benefited from being smaller than the first one. Like, you, when you think about Jurassic Park, it's already built. It's a big thing. It's a big construct of, 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 uh, I, of uh, dim closures for the animals. Then you move on to this one. There's no fences. So you don't know where the animals are going to be. And automatically you're you're meeting Stegosaurus at the beginning and the Stegosaur attacks you. None of the animals really start to feel like animals in this one. They're starting to feel like monsters more in this movie. Uh, Not until the end of it where, you know, the T-Rex is looking for its kid in San Diego. Because you go from here to there. Because why is the T-Rex still attacking them? It has its kid. It It has what it was looking for. Right, it's it's not like it's hunting. It's just going there to attack them to attack them. Um, <laughs> I guess they've explained it the way because she has the 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 baby T Rex's blood on her. Okay, I guess, but like they already have it. The kids right there. Kids are with them. So you go from there to there into the t- uh, the Velociraptors in the long grass scene. That is the better part. So if you hit, maybe say had the Velociraptors hunting them the entire time of the uh. 
of the movie, that would have been a little bit cooler, I think, because then you would really have a chance to bring it down to more of a personal story and have people struggle within each other. You have more conflict that way instead of just throwing things at a, at the narrative because it feels like they just put the scenes together. It feels like they storyboarded everything and then they slapped all the scenes together that they are in the in-between scenes because that stuff looks cool. They go directly from the long grass stuff who into the scenes in the... Uh, not visitor village is more of the workers village in there, and like I mean I'm all for camp I'm all for that but like in the visitor village or the workers village you have one of you have Ian Malcolm's daughter do gymnastics gymnastics kicking a fucking raptor through a window I mean <laughs> I guess really but like for my money that. As a kid, it was cool, but growing up and seeing that, I'm like, that's kind of silly. And, I, you know, what these movies should be kind of silly, I guess, but it's not like in Star Wars, where Star Wars is directly for kids. This is not that, you know? Uh, so that, that's kind of silly. All It kind of takes away from the seriousness of what that situation would actually be. And, uh, you know, from there on, it's just... That in the book Jurassic or in the book Lost World would be the end of the book, right? Because that's where they sort of just do that. They get off the island. But in the movie Jurassic or the movie Lost World, uh, you know, they catch one of the T-Rex. They catch the male T-Rex because it's bigger than the two because of sexual dimorphism. Sexual dimorphism basically means that uh, either the male or the female is the larger the species, a larger uh, counterpart of the species sometimes they're not sometimes they are in humans we actually do have that um i digress about biology but once you get to that that's when you get to san diego now originally the san diego sequences were saved were supposed to be saved for the third jurassic park movie if there were going to be a third one but Spielberg himself didn't think he was going to direct one, nor did he want to direct one, I believe. Because uh, Joe Johnson, who is the director of Jumanji, who also went to Cal State Long Beach, you know, go beach. Um, I went to Cal State Long Beach, so that's why I say that. He lobbied to direct this movie, but he ended up getting the directing chair for Jurassic Park 3. Uh, so... The original Jurassic Park 3 would have been taking the island, the animals off the island into the San Diego arena area, and that's what we have for the end of this movie. And the end of this movie does really go by quickly. Uh, it's, it's interesting to see because, like, already in the, in the Jurassic World series, that's happened in the second Jurassic World movie, and I guess I think they're just trying to copy it word or you know beat by not beat by beat, but like copy a little bit of it in that one. But like we'll see how we'll see how it ends in Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, but the San Diego sequences they're cool. They're really cool to see because uh, you know you're seeing a T Rex in a suburban neighborhood, as suburban as San Diego can get. There's a dinosaur in our backyard. This is where it's chasing down, chasing them down in uh, downtown San Diego ish or whatever. But that whole sequence is filmed in Glendale. <laughs> if you ever been in, Gl I've been in Glendale a lot. If you've been to Glendale, you could kind of 
you you know that's not San Diego. It looks like Glendale. <laughs> and uh, the only reason the T-Rex chases after them is because they, ha- they go to the... Uh, the I don't, I don't know what they call it, but the Jurassic Park facility in San Diego where they were going to build it kind of like SeaWorld, uh, which I can tell you right now, that was built as a miniature and it was... It looks really good. I like I like when things are done in miniature, because then you could tell you're like, oh, that's cool. That's a miniature, and um, they take uh, take the T Rex from there, T Rex baby, and it follows them around. Like, cool. That's when the animals seem like animals, but the the entirety of the rest of the movie, they just kind of seem like movie monsters, and that's kind of what they were trying, or they, as in Spielberg, was trying to avoid in the first movie. And like, so, I guess. It is what it is in this one because it again sequel with a lot of fan service, and that's weird to say for Jurassic series. But you know that fan service continues on from here on forth when we get to uh, Jurassic Park three. <laughs> uh, so that's basically in the movie. You know uh, they, they catch him, and it's all right, I guess. You know it's not not what I would have expected growing up now having rewatched it because i watched more jurassic park than i did jurassic or lost world and i've seen jurassic park more recently than i have lost world before rewatching it for this series so it just seems to me like yeah it just uh that they didn't know how to finish it exactly and in taking the source material from michael Crichton that they the producers may have seen that hey you know it's not gonna translate well into the type of audiences that we want again and that kind of goes to prove that the movie itself didn't break the top 10 grossing of that year uh not that that is any measure of the success of a success of a movie critically it's just a measure of success of a movie financially uh so you know it, it is what it is and like I said, it's a serviceable, serviceable sequel to to Jurassic Park. Uh, do I recommend it? I mean, if you're going to go ahead and rewatch all the movies, yeah, uh, go ahead and watch it. I mean, look, this movie is some people's favorite. Some people like it better than Jurassic Park. You know, it's up to them. I like Jurassic Park more, but that's just me showing my bias. But yes, it. I would recommend it. It is definitely one of those video store movies because, you know, who... You're gonna if you're gonna rent Jurassic Park, you're gonna rent No Lost World next because you need to see both of them, right? Uh, so there you go. That's uh, that's the Lost World. Uh, I am uh, Brian. I'm gonna go ahead and just do all my socials here. I guess now I am Video Store Wasteland on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter. I am VS Wasteland Pod, and. Uh, Go ahead and email me at videostorewasteland at gmail.com if you have any suggestions or, you know, comments about the show. Yeah, as again, you know, thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening. I am Brian. Love you guys. And thank you for joining me here in the Wasteland.